Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys today. We bring on all the way from Western Canada, Brandon Wong. And Brandon grew up in Victoria, which is on Vancouver Island. Awesome city, by the way. Uh, He played his junior hockey in the BCHL. Ended up going to the University of Quinnipiac. Actually, it's Quinnipiac University. I'd probably get in trouble for saying it the other way. Where he was recruited by a one Ben Sire, who was my coaching mate at Cornell. Great guy. Played nine years professionally in a lot of different places. And now he runs his own hockey training company, Brandon Wong. Brandon Wong hockey out in victoria so awesome awesome conversation there but before we do that let's get to another awesome awesome guy in jeffrey lavecchio vex what's shaking today man well gotta tell you i just had my butt cheeks clapped because my team was supposed we made it to regionals or sectionals or whatever they call it now in omaha we were supposed to leave tomorrow morning it's now what's today wednesday it's now wednesday night supposed to leave tomorrow thursday morning to go to omaha and they canceled it and they canceled nationals so i i feel really bad for uh for the team of boys that i coach they're all unreal kids unreal guys i feel bad for my head coach mike barra who puts so much uh heart and soul and and time and effort and caring into into coaching his teams and chris derso the other coach with us like both of those guys work so hard and you know to kind of come from losing our first 10 or 12 games in a row to you know winning our last like 11 or probably our last like 13 of 15 like it's crazy how far we've come and then to not be able to go to regionals and kind of prove where where we got to it kind of I feel bad for the boys yeah that's tough it's tough and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of youth coaches out there right now that feel very similarly and you put in as a coach and as parents and kids, I mean, you put a lot of work into a year in a triple A hockey schedule. It's a, it's a grind and takes a lot of sacrifice. And it's when we say that triple A hockey is a lifestyle, it's not just something you do and kind of takes over everything that you do. Um, So yeah, it's, it's too bad. Same stuff happened here in in New York. They actually before had it where they were just going to play the games and no parents were going to be allowed in the stands, which actually might've been a good thing. Um, but, but I, I think they, uh, I think I just saw something that they just can't with nationals being canceled. I think there's no even real reason to have a state tournament, um, anymore. So, um, tough for everybody involved. And we talk about on the podcast, as we were talking, the NBA canceled their season, have to imagine the NHL is going to be close behind, um, and doing some of their stuff. But yeah, it's just, overall, it's just a crazy, crazy time. And I get it. I mean, I, I think that it's probably a good idea. I mean, it's better safe than sorry and all that kind of stuff. But just hard when you when you put all that time and effort in and the boys work their butts off, you know, we're practicing three times a week and working out a couple times a week, games on the weekend, they put all this time into it. And then it's kind of not have that chance at the end of the season. It stinks, but Life isn't fair all the time, so looks like the boys will be getting to work even sooner in the gym. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Off season no, starts already, a little bit earlier. <laughs> I already had a couple of the guys text me when they found out right away. That's unreal. That's unreal. Yeah. 
Um, so how was the season? So the season's over. So get a chance as an assistant coach, coaching a U16 level. Give us a, a few different reflections of what the season was like. Well, you know, you and I, we always talk about, like, just try and make the kids better. We talked about on this podcast, Chris Collins, a mutual friend of ours who runs a training center in New York, is he said his new tagline, just get good. Like, first of all, absolutely love that. Like, don't make excuses. Just get good. Find a way. I don't care what your obstacles are. If you want something, just get good at it. You know, and I absolutely love that. I'm totally stealing it. Thanks, Collie. Um, <laughs> but, but. We started off, we lost like seven of our, would have been our top players to other organizations, other teams, wherever they decided to go. Um, And we started off the season awful, like as far as winning, not where the boys were just like as a team hockey, we're not doing the right things. We're not very good. But our whole goal as a staff, Mike Bear, the head coach, is unbelievable head coach and cares so much and does great. Like, just had this plan. He kept telling the boys, I don't care where we're at in August. I don't care where we're at in September, October, November. I care where we're going to be at towards the end of the year, December, January, February, when it matters, when we're going to go into playoffs, which ironically got canceled. But that's what matters and that at the end of the season, you guys are all individually better hockey players than at the start. And I can – 100% say that every kid on my team got better throughout this year. So that's all I care about. And that's why I coached this year. That's unreal, man. I mean, it's for me as, as a new hockey director and soon to be youth coach for next year, it's just so refreshing to hear that, man. Like just, I feel like a lot of the phone calls and emails and stuff that I'm taking from, from a lot of different people, they're just so worried about the bells and whistles of youth hockey. You know, like it's just it's infuriating because at the end of the day, I'm like, just just focus on the coach that's going to make your kid better and help him to fall in love with the game and challenge him and push him and, or her. I mean, it's just that's what matters. Even at and be the, a good role model. Like you didn't put him in hockey to make the NHL. Put him in hockey to learn life lessons, stay healthy, stay active, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like calm down. <laughs> Oh man, it's in just, the best way possible. Yeah, like, it's just it's one of those things. It's just like you, you feel these questions and and you try to you you try to answer them as as best as you can, and and you just got to be honest with people. And just sometimes people just don't want to hear your honesty, and they want to be told what they want to hear, and they don't necessarily want to be told what's the best thing for their kid. And at the end of the day, the best thing for your kid is is he plays for a really good coach that's going to make him better. And like all the bells and whistles questions that I get, I just kind of be like, is that, does that really matter? <laughs> does that stuff really matter? Um, so I've been steeped in it and, and I just, you just try to project as much of a positive outlook as you can and, and just say, Hey, this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to offer and we're going to make your kid better. And that at the end of the day is the most important thing. Like I, I tell people at, when I was at Cornell and I was recruiting to a division one school, I didn't recruit any kid that wasn't really good at hockey. <laughs> so it goes back to what we were talking about. Like you just got to get good. So how can you get good? Yeah. Yeah. Find Simpl- the best it's coach. simple. It's, it's, it's really that simple. And, and I think as people go into tryout times right now, they get so worried and so stressed about all these different things. Who's going where, who's going, what, what's doing this, what are they offering? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, Hey, 
all that really matters is your kid's going to have a good experience where he's going to fall in love with the game and he's going to get better at playing hockey. That's what's going to get them to their dreams. And that's what a lot of the second half of our podcast with Brandon was all about. And I just get so passionate about these kinds of things because it's so, so important. And I encourage and I implore all the parents out there, like when you're thinking about where you want to send your kid, like those are the things that are important. It's not the bells and whistles. It's it's the development and it's the experience. Totally. Totally agree, my man. You know I'm 100% with you on that. No doubt. <laughs> no Just doubt. get good. Just get good. No doubt. Good band. Yeah, very good band. <laughs> When's the funny? Babe. Yeah, she is. But yeah, it's uh it's an interesting time of year. I know there's a lot of people stressed out right now and and to be honest with you, like I've gotten so many emails and texts over the past like I don't know, two or three weeks just with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about and as a podcast, the things that we value and the things that we believe in. And a lot of the the things that I'm getting from parents out there, from coaches out there, it's just like refreshing reassurance about what youth hockey is all about. Because for whatever reason, this time of year, people go nuts. <laughs> and it's the tryouts and it's the tryout rules and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I get it. But at the same time, like it's, I want to thank everybody out there that's been sending us those messages because Jeff and I were talking off air, like for me as a new hockey director, it's been kind of draining having to feel a lot of the crazy phone calls and emails and texts of, of all these kinds of things. And the people that, that DM us and, and shoot us feedback and stuff about, Hey, like, thank you for bringing us your perspective and bringing us back down to earth. Like that means a lot. And for me, <laughs> it means a lot to me right now. So I appreciate it. Keep the positive feedback coming. I can use a little bit of it right now. <laughs> It really is hard because like, you know, your, your fear of missing out was just, it was so dead on. And it was like, it was so good for you to talk about the fear from the parents and the coach's perspective. And like, this just made me think like so much more and like always be look, try and look at different point of views. Like, yes, I see what I see and I'm thinking what I'm thinking from my point of view. But what about if I twisted a little bit and I'm over at this guy's point of view or the parents point of view or the kids point of view and just try and put it in there. And, you know, I totally understand everyone just wants the best for their kid, but it's also like, you're not going to the NHL from what squirt team you play for. Like it doesn't, it's not like just get good. Like listen to every high level player that's ever played recently. And they'll be like, just focus on having fun and every day helping your child get better. And like, it's, it's, we're all saying it for a reason, you know, it's not what ranking you are like it. And Tof has talked about it so much in the podcast. If you're good, your kid will find you. can't tell you how many people have been like, like you said, like what league are they in? Well, how are we going to get exposure for that? If your son or daughter at 16 and up 14 and up is good. Scouts know who they are. They're watching. I promise you the world is so small now with the internet. So like, just get good. Yeah. Yeah, totally true. I mean, it's so funny. Like, I think about when I was recruiting at Cornell, and if you get a tip on a kid in in like Toronto, okay, I, I can call ten different people there and and get a get a sense of who that person is, or in Chicago, or in St. Louis, or in anywhere. Like, there's just the the network is vast and wide, and and I am a believer in that. Do do kids slip through the cracks at times? I think they do. I don't. I think nobody's perfect, but there's a very, very good chance that if your son or daughter just focuses on getting better, then they will be found. Yeah. 
So. True. I, I agree. <laughs> I, we talk a lot about this on the podcast, so I don't want to talk too much more about it, but um, do have some updates. It looks like you were going to say something. What do you got? I was going to say, well, Wonger was one of those kids. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Like, he just talked about how he would go to bed sweaty. <laughs> Because he'd work out three times a week in his room for 45 minutes before going to sleep. I mean, I don't agree with the going to bed sweaty. That's pretty sick, Wonger. However, (laughs) it got him to where he's going and use it as a metaphor, parents and kids. Like, just get good. He just did whatever he could and he's, you know, he did what he did and he's had an amazing career. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, this was a, it was a really cool conversation with Wonger. We love talking to people who earned it, you know, and we talk about it all the time on the podcast. We love bringing people on that just absolutely earned their way and grinded their way to get to where they were. And he, he, uh, you know, I worked with Ben Sire at Cornell who recruited Wonger to Quinnipiac and Wonger was like their big recruit that kind of got them going and was a Hobie Baker uh, finalist. I don't know if he was a finalist or I know he was up for the Hobie Baker for a couple of years that he was at Quinnipiac and put up a ton of points while he was there. Um, but it was very cool to hear him kind of where he started and where he got to. And we just love having those type of people on the podcast. And I think it's really good for kids to hear those kinds of stories as they're kind of listening to this with their parents on their way to the rink. Because at the end of the day, there's only one kid on each team that's the best player on a team. And there's only one kid in a city that's the best player in the city. And so there's a majority of the kids that just, again, it goes back to what we're talking about. They just need to get better and they need to fall in love with the game and they need to just surround themselves with the right people. And that's how you're going to do it. And so it's, we love having these types of stories on this podcast because it just gives credence and it gives some, some confidence to, I think kids out there that aren't the best on their team or in their league or whatever right now, and might be feeling like a little bit, oh, I'm, I'm kind of getting left behind. No, you're not. It's about what you put into it. And if you put into it what a guy like Wonger puts into it and you go to bed sweaty or you just get good and all the stuff that we talk about uh, and that you hear about on the podcast, that's the stuff that matters. And if you put your mind to it and and you really focus on doing the right things every day and and you outwork the people that you're competing against, you're putting yourself in a position where down the road you could be the best player on your team. You could be the best player on your city and you could end up achieving your dream, whatever that dream is. Yeah, dude, 100%. Totally agree. I love that everyone is hearing that. And like Wonger, like you, he wasn't a huge guy, like height-wise, in a time when height was still pretty important the way that scouts looked at it. And he just got good. Yeah, love it. Love it. So um, with that, we will get over to him. But again, we do want to thank everybody. We want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor. Uh, best training aids out there. So if you want to get a Gel Stick, go to gelsticks.com, G-E-L-S-T-X.com. Use the coupon code THINKTANK, one word, and you can get a discount on your stick. Also a couple updates for the think tank. So we actually have some merch. We got some shirts that are being shipped today, I was told. So pretty excited about that. And uh, those will be ready hopefully by the end of the month to get out there. I know we've a lot of people have asked us for some merchandise type stuff. Swag is like a big thing, eh? Like in youth hockey, like the kids love the swag. I didn't even think that that was a big thing, but it's crazy. Yeah, man. I mean, I started my my clothing line with uh humble hockey like just because i i wanted to kind of motivate the guys and then more and more asked for it and then it evolved from one shirt into now i got like five different six different hats like 
five different t-shirts, couple different types of hoodies, female hoodies, and it's actually doing really well. And, and you know, it's just, it's people want that stuff. They want to support who they like. And, um, for me, like my, my thing is like, you look down and it's like, all right, I'm tired. I'll give more, be more. I need, if I want to be more, I got to give more. So like, it's kind of like just a reminder as we've talked about on this before. I like to give reminders, same thing for this people. And I think people want to support the podcast too. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the whole website, obviously your whole website. (laughs) No, we're looking forward to doing that. Another update we have. So we've had a lot of success, uh, with our ask me anything. So we've had, they're called AMAs on Facebook and Instagram live. Um, and we've done it basically every other week, the last couple of weeks. And uh, we've had a ton of people tune into that. So we're going to try and do that every couple of weeks. We'll do one uh, this week as this comes out on Monday. And uh, looking forward to doing that, answering all of your questions that you have. Sometimes we'll do a topic. Sometimes we'll just do, hey, whatever questions you have, let's let's get after it and I'll answer them. We'll try to actually bring on some guests to do them through our Facebook and Instagram lives too. So if you want to do one, can get Jeffrey Levecchio to do it, maybe, you know, huh? huh? I, have a, I have a very weird thing that I don't like taking selfies, like on my face, like holding the camera and like looking at it. It's like so foreign and weird to me, but maybe I'll give it a shot. Cause I love you. That literally makes no sense to me. The fact that you say you don't like looking at your face. No, I like the physical act of holding a camera with the purpose of like, people looking at your face or like kids on Snapchat, they just take a picture of their face. Like that is so weird to me. Like what? I don't, if someone's taking a picture of me, like when I'm modeling or I'm (laughs) acting or, (laughs) or whatever, like, okay, that's normal. But like me taking my own picture of my own face while the camera's directed, like, I just, I can't do it. But you know what? You help so many people and I watched yours and I, I think they're amazing. So Maybe I'll put my – that's the only thing I'm shy about probably in the whole world. So maybe I need to, to, to get out of my comfort zone and try Step to do it. Step outside that comfort zone, Jeffrey. Yeah. Come on. All right. Going. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're, we're excited to, to come out with some of these new features for the Hockey Think Tank and continue to, to, to carve out. Uh, a ton of different hockey development, hockey education information as much as we can for the players, coaches, and parents out there that are looking for it. And uh, this podcast has been a huge piece of that. We're almost at 100 episodes, which is absolutely insane. And so thank you, everybody, who's been helping us to to spread the word and providing us feedback and all that kind of stuff. Um, We say it every episode, but we genuinely mean it every episode. Thank you for all that you do for us and supporting our podcast. And uh, we can't wait for you to listen to this one with Brandon Wong, all the way out from BC, Western Canada. So, how about without further ado, let's bring it on over to Brandon Wong. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, all the way from one of the most beautiful parts of the world, Western Canada. He's in Victoria. Brandon Wong, Wonger, how you doing today, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet, you bet. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get going, and we'll get some Benny Sire stories going here in just a little bit. But before we get to uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Ben Sire, we want to uh, bring it way, way back and uh, talk about how you fell in love with the great game of hockey. You grew up uh, right outside of Vancouver on Vancouver Island in Victoria. So tell us a little bit about how you fell in love with the game and and uh, where it's kind of led you. Yeah. Um, wow. It feels you know as much as I was still playing this year into November, but 
basically, I think my dad took me on the ice when I was about three years old and uh, just kind of skated around. And at a young, young age, I actually just knew kind of what I wanted to do and what I loved, um, which is especially now coaching all these kids. They don't seem to uh, know what they want to do right away. There's so many options, I feel like, these days especially. Um, but, yeah, I just uh, started playing hockey when I was six years old. And then um, just fell in love with playing ice hockey, street hockey with my, whether it was my family or my, my buddies and just, uh, yeah, right up through minor hockey to junior hockey college. And uh, now just finishing up nine years professionally. I like it. I like it. Well, I, I do have a story for you. I no, not necessarily a story, but I heard from, uh, from our man, Benny Sire, that you would even rather spend time in merit than like on Vancouver Island. That's kind of the personality that you have. Is that, uh, is that true or what? <laughs> you know what merit? I, uh, it was awesome there. Uh, my billets are unbelievable and, um, they, they actually hosted, I think one other guy, if not two other guys at one point, so there's three of us in the house and, for the most part, they let us do kind of anything and, and provide us with, with great meals and kind of any food that we kind of wanted. So um, it was a great time there. And um, with the success in hockey there, it, was, it made everything so easy. And um, yeah, very memorable. That was for sure for that year. And especially even that first year at Quinnipiac. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So Vax, Merritt is a town. It's a small town, like a logging town kind of thing. And, is that the uh, Centennials? It or is. Yeah, yeah, it I've is. Heard of them. yeah. And so I've had a couple. Like Merritt is like right in between, like right in the mountains from getting from Va- Vancouver to Kelowna. And Wonger, you'll get a kick out of this story. So I flew into Seattle, um, and my plan was to go catch a couple games in Vancouver and then go up into like Kelowna Salmon Arm type area. And uh, the only car that they had for me was a Fiat like a little fear, (laughs) right? And it was in the fall. So you wouldn't expect like, like a ton of snow, but I got it, like ended up getting a ton of snow. So I'm going up the Coquihalla mountain range in a Fiat in a blizzard and ended up having to stay in Merritt. I seen my share, my fair share of games in Merritt, but Bex, this is an unreal barn. It like, what does it hold? Maybe like a thousand, 1500 people longer. Not even there's three if that, rooms, maybe yeah, you're probably right. Maybe with standing room, maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred with standing room, but for seats wise, I don't know. There's only three seat uh three rows of seats up definitely on each side, maybe on one end of the rink. So it's not yeah, it's a very small rink, that's for sure. It's like it's just a it's a barn. Yeah, yeah. I loved recruiting there though, because honestly, like you can really tell what a kid is made of in a rink like that. Because the atmosphere is, it's, I don't want to say it's hostile, but it's, it's just a different atmosphere because it's not a big arena. It's, it seems like the ice is really small and you really have to compete for, for what you get out on the ice and stuff. And so it's, uh, I, I loved recruiting there and, and uh, a little bit of a plug for the Centennials out in the BC Hockey League. But what was your, what was your experience like out in the BC Hockey League? Um, I think you're the first person that we've actually had on that, uh, that has played there. I VCHL. I mean, I still talk to these kids all the time and kids coming up. That was, that's in a sense, time of your life, really without school. Um, going to, yeah, just playing the BCHL, obviously, um, 
three years in the league, having really good success in my second and third year there. I was moving around. I was on three different teams at the time. Um, oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that because that's what our listeners want to hear, the struggles and getting traded and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I remember my first year, um, I didn't play much at all. I was fourth line and um, – still actually with one of my line mates, uh, basically one of my best friends and uh, his best man's wedding. I just talked to him earlier today actually about that, but um, yeah, just playing fourth line only like maybe five minutes a game. We had a really strong team. Um, a lot of guys moved on college hockey and even pro hockey, TJ Mulock in Germany, um, Bryce Hallwick who graduated from West Point. Uh, Tyler Actor was drafted by New Jersey. Um, Matt Francis there's a whole bunch of other guys that played on um, it was a really strong team so I learned a lot from them um, and then about six weeks into that next year I got traded to Power River and I just with another player um, who actually it was Tyson's sister's boyfriend at the time so we were like, we were like what are we doing we're, we're driving up had to take a ferry over to Power River um, not just one ferry two ferries <laughs> two ferries from exactly two ferries from Vancouver to Power, but only one ferry from the island to Power. But it was two at that time, and we're like, "What are we doing right now?" Um, just yeah, questioning what was going on. And after Surrey, we had, we had such a good team and good guys around. Um, the owner treated the team really well, so we're like, "Yeah, we're like, oh, no. we didn't have good feelings about it." Um, but I ended up going there and did really well with opportunity. Um, and actually at that time I was, yeah, I was just going through a little bit myself. Um, personally, I feel like I was a little, I don't know. I think I was like depressed a little bit at the time, but I was playing really well. So it was kind of now that we're talking about struggle struggles, I was playing really, really well while not feeling great, which is really weird. Um, and, and then I asked out at the year's end and they, the new coach there wasn't too happy and. So he traded me and he traded me to Merritt. So, so I think I told my dad that um, after the phone call I got, he's like, well, you got to go because <laughs> I asked for a trade. And yeah, luckily Merritt, they, they had traded a lot for, it was like a three, it was a six player deal with, with some money involved. Um, and I was the only player that stayed on Merritt at the time. So um yeah, they played me a ton right from training camp though I did really well in training camp to show like that I wanted it and that I wanted to get a scholarship and that I could prove to be a top player in that league so it went really well from day one when I was there and uh yeah before you knew it I was leading the BCHL in scoring and and uh, got signed with uh Quinnipiac around November that that year so you so, went from fourth liner playing five minutes a game to leading the BC in just a couple of years. Like, Tove, how many times do we talk to people that that maybe they don't go from five minutes a game to leading the league, but like they go through that period of time where they kind of got to earn their stripes. And I think a lot of kids don't understand that. Like, whatever you are, doesn't mean you're going to be that tomorrow. Don't let it don't let it be. you. Like, if you don't accept it, you can change it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, that that setback and that adversity, I guess, that you face, um, I've kind of had that my whole life. I think my dad and my parents 
kind of gave that to me. I had to work for everything. Um, at the same time, I wasn't, you know, we weren't poor also, like where it was really tough, but they just made sure that, uh, I appreciated things and, uh, and worked for what I wanted. Um, and yeah, just, uh, not playing very much at that point though my attitude was so different like I was almost just like so calm and I was so pumped to make junior A that I was like yeah okay just learn and one day something will come up and you'll do well but I remember when you you know when you get to you know maybe even a little bit of college but in the pros it's like when you get held back by these coaches it's like okay obviously I can play so why are you playing me but back then it was just like something so new to me that I was just like no, I was like, okay, I'm sitting, so just just watch and observe and learn on people. And, and, and yeah, before I knew it, I was doing really well in my second year in Power River. Um, we didn't even have that strong of a team, but I was just able to take that opportunity and stick out and had the guys that I needed, I guess, on my line. And and we did really well. Um, and then, yeah, and going to Merritt, I played with really good players as well. On that team, Brandon Campos was one of them. Casey Piero Zabatel, if you remember that name, in the ECHL, Zabatel is still playing, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, by that time, I was leading, leading goal scorer and leading points in the ECHL. So that's awesome. Something yeah, to, I think I think that's something that's like really important. You know, like I, I look back to my junior hockey career, Jeff. Probably you would say the same thing. Like every year, you learn something new. And every year you become a better player and very few kids go into junior hockey and have a great year in year one. It's just such a shock. You're playing against men now and you're playing, uh, you know, you're traveling for half your games and you're on the bus and you're dealing with school and you're trying to get recruited to college. And, or if you're in major junior, you know, you're trying to get drafted and stuff like that. It's just, it's very, very rare that a kid can go in in year one and really light it up. So for the kids that are listening to this, I mean, just, just look at all three of our stories. I mean, we, all of us had really tough first or first and second years when it came to, to junior hockey. And you just got to like, longer you're saying like, have the mindset of, right. I'm going to learn something now. I'm going to learn something about myself. I'm going to figure out how to earn my spot and figure out how to handle the, the crap. Because, you know, if you're playing junior hockey, a lot of kids, you're playing junior hockey because you were the best player on your team in midget or Bantam or whatever. And so maybe you haven't hit that, that road bump yet. And so having a mindset of like, okay, this is to be expected. It's, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be and just get through it with a little bit of grit, a little bit of positive attitude. And you'll learn things from that, that can take you with you for the rest of your hockey career. I mean, junior hockey for me, like I always say, when people ask, what was your junior hockey experience? Like I always tell them it made a man out of me. Like I became a man playing junior hockey. Because you're, you have to learn to be independent. You have to learn how to struggle. You have to learn all these different things from a hockey standpoint, all these different things from a life standpoint that really kind of punch you right between the eyes. And each year that I did it, I mean, I played four years of junior hockey. Um, each year I, I felt better than the year before going yeah. into the year anyway i've tore my acl in game one in my third year so uh, that was a little bit different but like every year i kind of felt like i learned something new and i was a little bit more prepared for whatever was to come for sure yeah i feel like as you're saying in junior what it reminds me of is just 
kind of even just for sure a young adult, but after college, I, that was when you come out as more of an adult, like a young man, like a man. Um, for junior hockey, it was like kind of, I just remember, like even going to college, I was still mature-wise, I feel like I was behind in some senses. Um, but yeah, it's just all learning and it's not even the, it's not even on ice. Like it's not just skills and skating and all that stuff. It's like the actual part of being disciplined and um, attitude when things go wrong. Um, like all that stuff is the stuff that you have to mature on. It's like, you know, the first time you freak out, but next time you just, yeah, I think you just try to improve that the next time it comes along. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really good about junior hockey in terms of uh, a learning process too, is it's kind of like the first time for a lot of kids where there's like a pecking order, where there's like a rookie and a veteran kind of thing. Cause as you grow up, you're playing with kids of the same age. So everybody's kind of on the same, like you have leaders on your team and stuff, but everybody's kind of on that equal playing field. And then you get to junior hockey and all of a sudden you're a rookie, you know? So you gotta, you gotta earn your stripes a little bit more than, just being on the same playing field as everybody that's been playing on the team. So I think there's something to learning how to be a follower and learning how to be a good follower um, from, from like a team dynamic standpoint and then learning from the guys who, or the girls who are leaders as well and learning what they do good, learning what they don't do well and, and just kind of go. So it's like, it's, it's an interesting learning experience for the first time in junior hockey where there is that pecking order where, and, and I think that dynamic is, is a good thing. I think it's a good thing to have rookies and veterans, but I think it's also a healthy thing where the veterans don't treat the rookies like rookies, you know what I mean? And, and so everybody has to be on the same team and all that kind of stuff, but still like just learning that dynamic, I think, because you're going to have that in juniors, you're going to have that in college, you're going to have that in pros and learning to be able to, to handle that stuff and earn your stripes as a rookie, I think is, is great for any kid. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think on that, when you say just learning, I think basically with that is what I'm doing now with my coaching business is the mentorship. You know, you got to be mentored by all these different people. Yes, our parents play huge roles in our lives, obviously, to, to help guide us and, and give us advice at any age, but also to, especially we'll just say hockey. We have it in, we have it in different parts of our lives, but we'll say hockey. When I was at first year playing with second years, they were the mentors. They were the older. They played. They had played the level. They were smarter, and they're also, yeah, more mature in different things, uh, life things. And so you look up to them. And then, um, you know, going to junior hockey, we had those vets, the twenty-year-olds. When I was, uh, I was a late birthday, but seventeen-year-old um, season. You know, you look up to them and learn, and and just the things that they say and that they've they've experienced in the past. And then you go college same kind of thing uh reed cashman was our captain and how we just kind of pulled everyone along and um um just made sure we were doing all right and then in the pros i had many different mentors going forward especially remembering brad may when i first went to grand rapids that was the first team i went to he was there just able to talk answer questions which is really cool because he played for the canucks and being a canuck fan out here um just remembering him and tons of other guests uh, as I went through it. So I don't know. I'm sure you guys can relate to the same thing for sure. Yeah. So you, you talked about your time at Quinnipiac and, and Reed Cashman was, uh, was a leader there when you got there. So cash, I, I know cash really well. To me, he's a special individual. 
Like he is a, a special human being and, and it's no surprise that he's an assistant coach with the Washington Capitals right now. And, and his trajectory, he went pretty quickly from, from where he was playing to, to coaching in college to, to being an assistant coach with, uh, with an NHL team and specifically the Caps. I mean, how cool is that? What was it about Cash that was so special for you um, coming in there as a younger guy with him kind of right in the ship because if if I remember correctly, it was probably either your freshman or sophomore year where you guys got to the ECAC finals and beat us. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, what what was it about Cash that you thought was so special about him? Yeah, it was my freshman year when I went there and, and the way they did it, which was great, um, given the program and ran, uh, you know, leading the way as well as the leadership part of everything and, and Cash being our captain, just show, uh, calling me before the season, before we were leaving, I think mid-August or so, uh, for the um, orientation and all that, just making sure everything was good and if we needed anything or his help or to answer any questions. Um, that was huge. I don't think I've had anyone in hockey before that kind of do that type of thing where you called. Um, it's funny. I remember that's when we talked about the Facebook Um Back then, you had to go to school and have a um, a school email address before you get the Facebook. And he was like, "Hey, you gotta get this Facebook thing." And just kind of leading us all towards what what now is obviously huge, right? Just new, um, smart guy, and, and the way the way he played the game too. He was just a leader, and such a smart, smart D man. Um, and yeah, we all just looked up to him, obviously, and. Um, we went to the ECAC final there. Yeah, we beat, we beat you guys there with, I think we subbed you in your rink. Um, yeah, you did, Warren. Thanks. Oh, just stepping <laughs> on Tope's heart so gently, but still. There was no gentleness to that. That was a, that was a steady shot. <laughs> um, your rink, he added. Us. It was huge for us going into, we were the underdogs, and uh, yeah, you guys were the team to be, even given your guys' style of play, it's just so hard to play against. Um, yeah, we, we just, that year, that whole year was just, we were just the underdogs and just had the mentality, I think, just to play hockey and just get through it. And yeah, I just think that's what just took us so far. Um, yeah, Vex, I got a good story about cash, so you'll, you'll appreciate this in being the person that hates the, the coaches that are remote control coaches from the bench. So cash was telling me, so one of the things I always like to do when I went down to Florida to the college coaches convention is I'd, I'd take somebody who won a championship the year before one or two people and just say, why, you know, what was it about this team? You know, what was it about your group that allowed you guys to win a championship this year? So when cash was there, I mean, that's when Quinnipiac was going to the frozen fours national championship games, um, and stuff like that. So I remember talking to him when we were down there and I said, what was it about your group that, uh, that you, you know, you really respected about, uh, about these guys. And, uh, so I have two stories actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So the first one was, um, they're playing at Yale. So big rivalry, Quinnipiac Yale, you guys are what, like seven miles apart or something like that. And so it's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's a heated rivalry and stuff. And, um, so Quinnipiac goes down to Yale. He's telling me three, nothing in the first, like five, six minutes of the game. And so typically as coaches, and I'm thinking about Rand, I'm like, oh man, he must've been losing it. <laughs> and, and so it was interesting because Cash was telling me that that year, 
you know, they, as they were kind of getting ready to lose it as coaches behind the bench, they called the timeout and to regroup and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden he looks down his bench and he, and he's like, you know what I saw? And so I'm like, what? He goes, I saw our guy's body language is incredible. Our leaders had positive talk and say, Hey, we got this guys. No worries. Like 55 minutes still left in the game. No big deal. And it was almost like a turning point of their season. Cause they ended up winning the game and coming back. But he's talking about how the players took ownership of that team. And as coaches, they didn't even need to really, I shouldn't say they didn't need to coach, but when the players take ownership of the team and take ownership of the accountability and holding each other to standards and stuff, there is nothing better for a recipe for success than that. And I just thought it was a really cool answer for him because it wasn't anything that that they did as coaches, but it was more along the lines of like the players, like they took it upon themselves to police themselves. They took it upon themselves to really just be the leaders of the team. And so I thought that was really cool. But the other one facts I'll tell you is so cash and just talking to him about hockey and stuff, you know, he, he was the one, and I think I've told you this before where he's like, as a coach, my job is Monday through Thursday. Monday through Thursday is my game. And that's my job to make these kids unbelievably better and to develop the habits so that on the weekend they can just go out and play. And then Friday and Saturday, that's their time to go and shine. That's their time to have fun and just play on autopilot because of the things that we taught them from Monday to Thursday. And it goes back to that remote control coach, right? Where everybody, the guys who are trying to tell everybody what to do on the ice and all that kind of stuff. It's like, no, your job is in practice. And then the games, if you're doing your job as a coach, you're implementing the habits necessary for the team from a team standpoint and for the individuals from an individual standpoint to, to just let it rip. I love that. And like if, a, a lot of, whenever I watch NHL games, I see, you barely see the coaches talking to the players, the head coach. It's more like the assistant coach, I feel like is normally doing a lot more talking for, for the majority. So like, what did you see? Like, what, what was your style in game? Like how much talking do you do to players? And like, Hey, are you like, Hey, do this. You should do that. Or are you like never saying anything and wait till intermission and show them video or what's yours or what's kind of your advice? Because I've always kind of wondered, should, you know, how much talking should I do to them between shifts? You know? Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think it kind of depends on individual players for one, because yeah. you know, there's some kids who, you know, you can give them a kick in the butt when they come out, they're not working hard and stuff. You can get into them, you know, a little bit. There's other kids you need to leave alone a little bit more. So I think it's a little bit more from an individual standpoint. There's certain like structure things that you can talk about with guys, um, yeah, I mean, I'm ask, I think I'm more asking about like X's and O's. I think you and I talk enough about how we believe that each we need as a coach, you need to know what motivates each individual player. We talk about that a lot, but like as far as X's and O's, I, I'm specifically asking about how much do you talk about that in a game on the bench? Yeah, I think you can talk about it. I don't think you want to bog people down with it, but if you know, there's a certain something that you're seeing that we talk about in the pre-scout and they're just doing something that's completely different or something like that. You can say, Hey, you know, you, and, and it goes back to asking questions and not just being like, yeah, you did this, you need to do it this way. But like, Hey, what did you see here? Because sometimes they actually make the right read or they'll give you an answer that makes you think a little bit instead of just being like, why didn't you do this? This is what you were supposed to do. So I, I think, you know, you all want to be on the same page from a structure standpoint, specifically when you get to the older ages. So I don't think there's anything wrong with pointing some things out and asking questions when kids get to the bench, but it shouldn't be like all the time, <laughs> you know? 
How about you, Wong? Are you doing coaching yet? Like actual in-game coaching or is it more like skill stuff? Yeah, mostly just, just skill stuff, skating stuff and off ice stuff. Um, so then how about how much, how much did you like coach? Did, were you a guy who liked having a coach talk to you in the game being like, what are you seeing or telling you these things? Or were you, did you like when coaches didn't talk to you? Well, there's a definitely a balance there. I like, I would both answer both those with, I do like both, but I couldn't stand when they're always all over me. I definitely was that. I definitely like being told and helped on some things. Um, you know, to think about even like the major principles, like the habits are important. Um, you know, sometimes when you have that off game, I think it's important. And then even to the random kick in the butt, I think was, was important for me. Um, but at times I felt like I was so hard on myself and motivated that I found that out myself as well. I think so. Uh, yeah. I just, a little bit of both. I would say answer for that. Um, How about you Vex? Um, I had some coaches who were really hard on me. Not really hard on me. Like when I deserve, if anyone was being hard on me, it usually was deserved. <laughs> so, um, and that I was a guy who, if I was not having a good game and somebody got in my, like yelled at me or whatever, it usually made me want to go out there and kill someone or try probably didn't kill anybody, but I probably tried to. <laughs> so I liked that, but, um, you know, I, I, all I can remember right now is like my, my last nine years playing professionally and like coaches didn't really talk to you that much on the bench unless it was something really bad or you did something really good and they kind of like give you a fist bump, but like there was never really that in between. Um, I don't know. Like I'm I, me as a coach, you know, it's only my second year doing it. I really try. Like he just said, like, you don't want to like, even if it's not negative, just, you don't want to, I feel like the kids don't respond when you come back to the bench and the coach is on you every single shift, even if it's positive stuff or things that he's seeing out there to try and help you. I think there's a, a too much where they, they tune you out. So I've been trying to kind of like, just f- watch guys body language when should i talk to him when should i not so it's a really interesting topic for me on when like and I, I don't mean structures in like systems but like hey i saw you didn't have stick pressure on that hit that's why that guy passed it make sure you do that well should i say that every time he does it or not you know that kind of thing i'm just kind of working through that right now yeah i think it's an individual difference kind of thing too you know i think there's you know, and, and you get to know that by getting to know the kids throughout the year and and recognizing what their reactions are a little bit to, to what you do. Um, and sometimes the best thing you can do from a talking standpoint is not talking at all, just sitting them on the bench <laughs> from, from an effort standpoint. And if it gets to that point facts where a kid's continuously making a mistake where you say it and you tell them like, there's a point where you just can't tell them anymore. And it's, I, all right, we got to hold you accountable now for, for what you're supposed to do. And I think you need to take a seat here for a little bit. And, and think about it because you're not focused on what you need to do to, to help our team win right now. So, but I, I subscribe a lot to what cash said, right? Like it's, that's your show. You like, I, I would imagine most players play better when the coaches are positive on the bench and teammates are positive and you have that positive kind of atmosphere culture type thing. And so letting the kids play and letting them have fun and just making sure you're doing the work from Monday to Thursday, because if you think about even the stick pressure thing that you said, if the kids continuously not doing stick pressure, then you probably didn't do your job as a coach from Monday to Thursday to teach the kid that habit as well. Right. 
you know? Right. So, um, I, it's, it's, it's interesting. And that's why sports is and coaching. It's an art. It's not a science and it's different for different people. It's different for different situations. And, um, that's why it's so hard, but also so fun. Very yeah. true. I, well, I, you I, played I, all over. Like what leagues did you play in professionally? Me. Oh, me. Um, how much time played, you got? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like my junior career, I was all over the place. Uh, played in the ECHL for basically total five years, and then played in the AHL for two different tryouts, basically. And then I was in Sweden, Denmark, Germany, Australia for a month. Wow. In uh, Russia, Russia. I'd say Russia, China is the same thing, but two different places, kind of living in where. Um, yeah, all over. <laughs> well, let's hear some of the different stories about coach. Since we're talking about coaching right now, what were the differences in coaching in the different countries, different leagues, different levels? How, you know, what did you see? So that, yeah, this is the perfect question. I was actually hoping to. It's the only kind I ask Wonger the perfect <laughs> question. To chat about this part, because given on what we just talked about cash um, and then you guys asking if I like to be taught or coached a lot on the bench or not. And I found some crazy different things and just how far ahead, even let's say even like AHL, ECHL coaches are uh, not even just the NHL coaches. Um, I mean, a lot of Canadians or um, Americans go over, get hired to coach in all these international countries. And it's a very old school way to coach over there. I mean, you are dealing with totally different um players given their talent level given on how late they've started hockey and even the population size so they had to deal with them differently but i found that within even the politics part was some of these coaches um they would as you come off the ice they would talk to you every shift and say something wrong so it was like negativity every shift and you could almost tell that they kind of didn't want me on the team. And so one of those years I was bought out by the team. Um, and I was like, I barely got ice time. And, and I, was, yeah, I was getting lied to by the, the head coach and stuff. Um, what league? Or I guess you don't want to say what league it was. Yeah, well, I mean, it. yeah, it was, it was the VHLs in Russia. We had Russian coaches. Um, it was just totally different. And that was on the KHL two-way contract. So um, just really different uh tactics what were, what were the days like in russia were you like were you like running like eight 10 12 hour days like i've been like i've heard three seasons ago we had like four days <laughs> we were on oh. the ice twice we had weights and we had i don't know had a lighter workout but it was nuts and we we were grinding through this for like two months long um we were going through mike keenan's um training camp to start which the on ice was really hard the off ice wasn't too hard um the on ice was tough it was i thought we ran some pretty good practice i actually i mean very simple drills that we've all done but ran a very good like intense practice you knew your like game speed and i like that because i found a lot of my coaches were just doing way too many flow drills that you're just kind of doing a workout out of it skating in circles where with Mike Keenan stuff, he was doing like one-on-one sprints, battles, and like, and I, that's the stuff that you get better at. Um, and 
yeah, given on um, he wasn't really an X and O's guys is what I saw and what people talked about. But he was smart. He was able to get the best and best out of guys, whether he was um, <laughs> you know playing mind games or or not or whatever. But um, yeah, that's why he's so successful as a coach. And I found his practice to be very good. That's unreal, man. What was like? What was it like playing for him? I actually didn't play any games for him, but just the training camp. Training camp, uh, yeah. Um, not to go into too much. The first time we met him, we had an argument over my physicals. I remember that. So that's what I kind of tell a few different people, given on uh, his experience, right? Going now, running my own company, and with like one of the most well-known and and um, successful coaches who's won the Stanley Cup and the Russian Gagarin Cup that the first conversation he picked an argument with me and about my physicals and I'm just telling him how like how like it wasn't my fault and and uh, that I wasn't gonna pay to myself to go to Finland and stuff to get my own physical done but that's what he what I think that's what he wanted to do that was his tactics um, he was already knew how to get the fire in, in me and all these other players as well. Right. And they just knew how to get under your skin. Um, definitely was new to me, like all that stuff. And now I realize I'm like, yeah, why? Like I've never, I don't think really met someone that has argued me right away. Like they always shook their hands say, Hey, and then like another time it was an argument, but not right away. So that's intense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely different. I don't know. I, Sets the tone. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never played how was, game. But. How was the living in the VHO? Because I got, I got offered a contract for, for me, you know, what I consider for myself um, pretty good money, and I turned it down because I Googled the name of the city, and the very first thing that popped up on the Google, on the, on the Google machine, it said like massive grave of prostitutes unearthed at blank city. Wow. And I was like, that's the very first thing that comes up. And then I read all about it, whatever city it was, which was like 13 letters long. It was like a city where it started, where there was a massive prison there. And then when they let people out, the prisoners had no money. So the whole town was like founded from the prisoners that would be released whenever. And I was like, there's like tons of crime there. And it was like, for me, that would have been the most money I had made other than my NHL contracts. And I was like, Ooh, how do I sell this one to the family? So I just turned it down right away. But like, pretty, I mean, I, I've talked to tons of guys that lived in like Bazas. Like, were you living in one of those or you were in China? So slightly different or living in a hotel. Yeah, or? There's a lot of weird things there too, but given they actually treated, it sounds like both teams because the KHL usually gets treated better than this anyways. But we had pretty good hotels. We were living in a hotel like so three seasons ago. Um, we're in northern China up in Harbin, which is closer to Russia. But we're in a five-star hotel there. A little bit older hotel, but it was nice. And we got good food. We got the buffet and everything. Um, but in Russia, when we traveled there to play, which we had to stay long periods of time. And... Um, yeah, the most of them were pretty good, but there was a few that you're like, uh, not so good. But there was one that really stuck out, and I we actually stayed there again this year. Where no, we didn't, no, we didn't. Sorry, just one time. But it was like a hospital, and like an old folks home. And we were, I remember checking the beds and everything. I slept 
with my clothes on on top of the sheets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was <cool. laughs> it was yeah, different experience, but no, they treat like the Chinese team there treated the guys pretty good with the living and all that. But there was a couple places that were definitely interesting and now you look back at experiences, I mean you can't get treated well all the time and those and even if you, you even if you're about. treated, yeah, even if you're treated poorly, you got a life story. And on top of that, I mean, Topher and I always talk about this. It gives you some serious perspective. Like seriously, like I had a buddy who played in that league, the VHL, the league that's basically the AHL to the KHL is the one we're talking about with Wonger here. And he lived in what was called a Baza. I actually have a bunch of buddies who played on different teams. And like they would have to be in at like eight or nine PM every night. And if you weren't in, you weren't getting home. Like, it was like almost like a military barrack. It was like, you're in or you're out. So like, and you don't want to be out just walking around Russia, obviously. So everybody's in by eight or nine o'clock and they were doing three a days every single day, the entire season. And just, you know, different, different world over there, different life. And definitely gives you perspective. Different world. And when you say perspective, like, holy smokes, especially even in China and Russia, they kind of go a bit of hand in hand from being out in Victoria. But, uh, you know, in, in Russia, they find that there's no middle class, really, and there's people with money, and there's people not with very much at all, and, you know, they have to, work, for the most part, kind of work hard, and also, when you don't have as much money, they can't travel outside of the Rus- Russia, so they're staying there, same as the China, same as China, same as Chinese, they, they have to stay there, like, they can't travel much with no money, um, and so that's where I feel like just how the country or the government's ran that they want them to kind of stay within um and this is how it works um and uh yeah just even on the hockey end just getting to know some of the guys um they were decent with english like not bad good and you know they would talk to us but for them it was make or break and I, I I remember hearing at least one or two stories of like we'll say NHL guys. It was like you're either going to be good at hockey and make good money and, and your family can live like you're maybe a media family, um, or you're not going to make hockey and you got to go you know maybe the military or, or whatever type of job. So it's like you had to work 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 and and it meant having that much type of pressure at a young age. Um, Running this coaching stuff, I mean, you see those nine-year-old kids doing crazy workouts over there. Not only on ice workouts, but off ice workouts. And and over here, we got you know, you see these. They're known as the crazy hockey parents. I'm like, I'm like, okay, you guys, yes, yes, it is crazy over here, but Russia and all these places, it's way crazier. It's it's do or die there. So, oh, yeah, so, yeah. makes sense. That's, Crazy man. Well, you talk about the craziness of the youth hockey stuff. You're you're pretty steeped in it now. You're you're out in Victoria. Um, what's it been like, kind of starting your post hockey career in hockey as a, as a skills trainer, hockey sense trainer? Tell us a little bit about what you have going on right now and what that experience has been like. Yeah, so it just started two and a half years ago. Um, you know, it's it's a very very cool gig going um pretty cool against my own company <laughs> um but wearing many different hats hard times very busy but um yeah just running on ice skills skating stuff off ice stuff skills stick skills shooting stick handling um dry land because i know that's where i personally 
um, took big strides and jumps myself was the, was the running the long distance or the sprints or the, the body weight exercises. And I didn't even start that young. I think I started around 10, 11 years old when I was doing that myself. I was doing it in my room, I remember, um, before I go to bed. Um, yeah, I was quite, my, I just remember my parents just telling me, like, hey, you should start doing this stuff if you, if you want to play, oh, not high levels, but just if you want to keep playing. <laughs> and so I was doing push-ups and sit-ups and squats. And then I randomly heard, I don't know if it's TV, but Yarmie Jagger doing jump squats. So I was like, okay, I'll call these the Jagger squats and started doing that stuff. And um, I was really small back then. I was, I still am small, but um, was always the undersized player. But as I got older, I got to have some pretty big legs to just keep building that on, you know, to have the, the strength, stability to, to play with those guys, 6'3 to 6'6. Six, six, um, those Cornell boys. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. You got exactly the defensive team with big, big boys. Hey, time. we're like top five in the country this year in offense, baby. Not just yeah, the defensive juggernaut. You guys are number three in the country. You were number one, but number three recently, I think. I think we. I think we're still number one. Okay. Yeah. I well. I mean, frickin' the season's right. probably, probably going to get canceled anyway. So, oh just my god, that's going to suck. Recently, Harvard and Yale are apparently pulling out or something. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine the NCAA tournament happened. I mean, I'm not going to make any predictions right now, but it were what it's Wednesday night. They just canceled the NBA season uh, just about 25, 30 minutes ago. And so I, I would imagine the NHL might be, might be coming next. That's the word. I mean, it kind of looks bad when, if they were to keep going, I would imagine, I don't know. I don't really know how that part works, but you would think they would have a small little break just like the NBA. It sounds like, but it's craziness right now. I can't believe what's going on. I, I just got a text while we're on this USA hockey canceled nationals and my team is supposed to leave for regionals at 8 a.m. tomorrow and we're not it's canceled oh sleep so they in. canceled regionals and, well I was working at seven anyways before the bus or my <laughs> bus is at nine I was working seven to eight uh but yeah regionals and nationals canceled man oh. I I was thinking about it I was actually texting with somebody tonight earlier um because Harvard and Yale have already canceled their games and I, I have to imagine that a lot of other stuff is going to get canceled. Can you imagine honestly being a senior? You guys all play college hockey. Could you imagine being a senior getting to the point where it's playoff time right now and then being told that your career is done and it's over? I would lose my I would legitimately lose my mind. Yeah, I would I don't bad. even know what I would do, man. Like that is just you put 4 years. I mean, you don't even put you put your entire life into something. And it's not just the four years that you were there, but it's your entire childhood and, and making the decisions to sacrifice things and, and all that kind of stuff. And all you want to do as a hockey player is win a national championship when you get to college. And I, I feel for, for the Cornell guys right now, specifically, because I'm obviously I know a lot of them, um, but like they have a chance to win a national championship this year. And if they get told that their career is done and they're not even going to get that chance. Oh my, like I, Oh man, it's, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you want to be healthy and you want, you know, you don't want this virus to spread more and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just, it's, you just, your heart aches for those kids. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was saying. I mean, even, so I was just talking to a friend from home, Gary Nunn, who, played in switzerland this year and they canceled a lot of those pro league uh playoffs as well yeah any of them and he's back now they lost in the first round but just like 
just saying how even we'll just even say the seniors, but even in pro hockey, the guys that their contracts are up, like, and you know, yeah, in, in, in the playoffs, some of those, even including the NHL is some of those playoff performances are huge for that next contract. Like so those, all those guys make the big bucks after that type of playoff run. Um, but yeah, that's, it's pretty crazy being a senior, especially it's not even pro hockey. You're just still playing out here. Your um, college year. Can't yeah. Win. Yeah. Hey, Wonger, I want to go back to something that you were talking about a little bit earlier that coronavirus tangent we took. Uh, um, but you mentioned doing squats and stuff in, in your room. And it's, it's interesting that you say that based upon how far you made it in the hockey world, being able to be a, a, an unbelievable division one player and break records and then play in pro hockey as well. Because when I go in and I talk to kids, when I do my team building stuff, I, it's one of the things that I talk about is, is like effort and hard work. And the question that I ask them is, okay, for everybody that's in this room, raise your hand if you work hard. And everybody raises their hand. I said, okay. Now, if you think I asked every single other kid in the U.S. and Canada if they work hard, how, what's the percentage that you think is going to raise their hand? And they're like, well, probably everybody. Is. So it's like, what, like, what do you do differently? It's like, how can you separate yourself from your quote-unquote competition? So all these people are, have dreams of playing at the higher levels of hockey. How can you separate yourself from that? And for me, a lot of it, goes back to what you did it's the stuff that don't nobody asks you to do but you do because you want to get better so like everybody now can hire the skills coach everybody now can hire the strength coach everybody now can hire the you know the best of the best to to help you become whatever it may be but to me it's the kids who like do push-ups before they go to bed every night and it's the kids who like stick handle in the driveway when nobody asked them to do that. And it's the kids that like really have that internal drive and love and passion for the game where it's not a scheduled thing. And this goes nothing against what you guys do <laughs> because you guys do amazing jobs of what you do and it's a necessary part to it. But I, I honestly, I feel like the kids that like just kind of do those, like just do sit-ups before bed every night, but you do it every day. You know, well, not like sit-ups because they're bad for your spine, but planks. Yeah. <laughs> planks. There you go. Whatever. Yeah. So for me, those are the, those are the kids that end up making it. The ones that you talk about that like you doing squats on your own, nobody asked you to do it in your house by yourself. Like, yeah, it's funny. I mean, two things there is I look back now and just how badly I want, I really would do anything and still would do kind of anything to play the game in the NHL, I feel like, but, um, I think if, I just laugh. I, I used to do that workout for probably 30 to 45 minutes in my, in my room, probably three times a week at least. And I remember, so I had a, I still have a little bit of a sweating problem, but when I was younger, <laughs> I feel real bad sweating problem. So does Jeffrey. Really, really easily. And I would go to bed sweating. Um, <laughs> uh, we'd shower every day, like be really clean. Our parents would make us do all that stuff, but I just would, make sure I do that workout and I just hop in bed right that. That's <laughs> gross. But awesome. <laughs> that and that's, that's what it took when no one was watching. I knew deep down that I was putting in the work and that I wanted to get better because I preparation is one of the biggest confidence uh, boosters. I think that I knew I was outworking that guy when he was sleeping at night. 
I love that you said that. I, I tell right, just all lit up. my guys, <laughs> I tell all my guys, I say this to them every day. You're always preparing. You're either preparing to succeed or you're preparing to fail by your lack of preparation. And those guys who prepare, like they are the ones who are going to succeed over and over in the long run law of averages, like your talent sooner or later is not going to be enough. And it reminds me of the Chris Butler podcast when we had uh, Stanley cup champion, Chris Butler on right after the Stanley cup happened this year, Tove, when he talked about, he worked in some worked out in some gritty gym in Minnesota and it wasn't sexy and there wasn't a ton of technology and it wasn't, there was no cameras there. It was just a bunch of guys just throwing around dirty weights. Obviously they had a strength coach there telling them what to do, but it wasn't like this crazy, like, you know, the lab in Russia and Rocky, it wasn't Rocky four. It wasn't like that. It was, it was like, you know, just do it and get it done and get better no matter what and have that whole idea and, and self ability to push yourself And he's like, that's why I made it. And so I think it's like, yes, we as coaches, we need to bring that out of kids, but it's also something that's kind of in them or not, you know, I mean, we can try and pull it out of the guys who kind of have it, but it's kind of like, how, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Are you going to go sweaty? Are you going to go to bed sweaty? (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think influence at a younger age is also helpful, right? Just being around those types of, coaches or parents or whoever and even friends that you just influence like, oh if that guy's doing that that's weird maybe i should be doing some extra stuff um and just kind of contagious off of that even so going back to what you're saying there Toph, is you know it's our jobs to coach these kids either at skills training or, or workouts dry land type stuff but actually in my philosophy of my um, my hockey company I kind of suggest to these parents, I'm like, Hey, come see me. Like, I know, I know sometimes my parents didn't have that much money. There was three of us playing hockey, uh, my sister and brother too. And we, we luckily all got scholarships. My brother got lacrosse, my sister got hockey. Um, but like given on money, if you're doing things yourself and, and just out of your own interest, you're saving money anyways. Like you're going to learn from your own little routine that you do or things that you choose. And what I tell the parents is I'm like, okay, come see me, you know, whether it's once a week for right now or twice a week for right now, but take what you learn from me for a little while and go just do it yourself. Like tell your, your kid should learn something. It's like, I gave him a plan when we just did, he should remember like whether it was squats, jump squats, lunges, uh, core ab, uh, exercises. And he should take that with like explosive exercises too, and take that with him for the next two to three weeks, save money over time. But as long as he's doing it himself and then come see me again in three weeks, I'm like that investment is nothing. Um, and it's better than nothing. Like you, I tell people, I had that conversation with a mom this morning. It's not my goal to make you have to come to me every day, all the time. Like I'm teaching constantly so that hopefully one day if they're on the road, they go on vacation, whatever, and they don't want me to write them a workout or they can't afford to come to me. They still have an idea of the correct form, the correct things to do. So like kids, when you go to your trainer, like you're lucky that your parents are able to afford a trainer, pay attention, listen, learn something and apply it yourself. Get involved. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, not even just like, you know, we love to influence these hockey players because that's who we were and, and what we know for all our lives. But in anything, you just kind of find what you love to do and pay attention to what you're doing. And then, you know, before you know it, you're, you're teaching or consulting others and whatever you're doing. So 
I think the same kind of, I mean, given on hockey, we all know prices can be high in, in whether it's training or equipment or ice time, but there's ways to do it. Like I was, the reason why I do off-ice skills is because I went and did that myself on the driveway. I was learning how to stick handle in different ways. I wasn't doing the toe drag, but I was doing like the, the between the legs and, and that type of stuff. Um, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky never had a skills coach. There you go. There you go. Nobody wow. had a skills coach until, you know, I don't know. I don't know when they started becoming a thing, but people became very good hockey players on their own from their internal drive. And that's, it's funny. That's one thing that like, I'm getting steeped in this right now. I just took over as a hockey director of an organization. And I feel like so many of my conversations, they, they almost leave me a little bit like, I don't want to say dejected, but just kind of sad because it's like, I get so many questions of it's like, well, what can you do for me? And what kind of stuff is going to be here for my kid and all this kind of stuff. And and I just want to tell them, like, I want to create an environment where the kid's going to love the game and want to do it on his own. You know, like there's only so much that a coach can do. And the best coaches are the ones that can instill the habits and instill the passion in a kid where he just falls in love with it. And then he wants to do the things on his own. And when he or she does those things, they do them to the best of their ability. Because as a coach, like you can draw up all three of us and you two guys, like we can draw up the best plan. Um, Jeff, you can draw up the best workout longer. You can draw up the best skills practice if the kid doesn't want to be there, doesn't love it. It doesn't matter, you know? Mm. So like the best coaches, and I think that's something that the parents have to realize is they have to put some of the ownership on their kids, you know, where, you know, like stop asking the hockey director so many questions about what can you do for me? (laughs) It's, it's like, how much does my kid want to do this too? And because it's a two-way street, coaches have to be invested absolutely 100%. Hockey directors have to be invested absolutely 100%. But if you have all these hopes and dreams for your kid and your kid has all these hopes and dreams, ultimately it's, it's up to them. Yeah, to be able and to that's why I try and influence and, and educate not only the parents, but these kids. Like they got to choose it themselves. Um, you know, whether some of the things is I've been mentioning about is just how, you know, they always want to be out with the best players, but at the same time, I totally agree with that. But at the same time, you want to give them the opportunity to push themselves. Like when you're out there with, whether it's younger kids or older kids that are worth like not as good as you, you still have to find a way to push yourself out there because when you get to midget level, or even say junior level, you have to know how to push yourself or else you're so far behind already. And, and that's not an easy thing just to acquire. Um, I think it, it, that's why hopefully, you know, people like us are getting back into the game and giving back and, and not hopefully they are, but I think it's really important for people like us to, to come back and coach or mentor or train or whatever, and constantly be telling the next generation of, of boys and girls, you know, like if you want this, it's kind of up to you. Like I can't work out. I can't lift the weights for you. I can't shoot the pucks at night for you. Mom and dad can't put the healthy food in your body versus the crap. Like it doesn't mean you got to be a robot, but if you want to be good at this and you want to excel at this, like you're saying you have to, it's literally up to you. It's all up to you. It's on you. Are you going to go to bed sweaty? Not, 
actually, but like <laughs> metaphorically, are you are you willing to go to bed sweaty? That's going to be your next. Was, uh, that's going to be your next like saying on on your wall in your gym, Vex. I go like to that, bed actually. sweaty, baby. <laughs> Put the hammer in the wall. Go to bed sweaty. I love that. I really do. Like it's a great <laughs> metaphor. But you, that's what you got to be willing to do if you want to excel at anything. Yeah. yeah and, and it's the same, at the same time, like this kind of goes along with it. So you, Chris, um, actually, you know, Chris Collins. So him and I coached together last year, played at BCU, Hobie Baker finals, all that stuff. And he owns a training facility. And he was telling me a story about Greg Brown, who was an assistant coach at BC at the time, but now he's, he's a coach with the Rangers. Um, how he was saying that people were kind of asking him as a, as an assistant coach at BC, like, how do you, how do you get to BC? You know, how do you, how do you get to there? And his answer was just get good, <laughs> you know, like simple, just get good. And they have that up all over their training facility now. Oh, oh, love it. That's all you got. It's not, it's not your connect. Like just, it's up to you. Just get good. You know, I love that. And so just get good. I say it all week, but it's the same kind of thing as going as you gotta be good. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you got to prepare, you got to want it, you got to do all that to be good. Um, or even maybe, obviously not the word is good, but great. You got to try to go for the great. And um, yeah, just got to be different than everyone else, really thinking outside the box. And it all goes back to what we were talking about before when we were talking about cash too, Wonger. Like you become great and good Monday through Thursday. Like, that's that's when your money is made like people make the million dollar contracts in the training sessions and in the practices like if you're doing things to the best of your ability and as hard as you can in the training sessions and in practice that's what's going to earn you the scholarship or the the junior team invite or the contract whatever it may be and it's just it, it all goes back to that internal drive that you're talking about and as as coaches providing an environment where the kids want to have that yeah i think you guys would agree with me here too um where basically like when i say dry on that's what pushed me ahead of a lot of the kids in my area and just got me further up um the ladder i guess you'd say is no one wants to go for hour runs and work on their cardio. No one wants to really do these painful hill runs or like sandbag runs um, or even, you know, extra type of stuff. Like it's not like better than some things that you could be doing, but at the same time, like, are you willing to sacrifice to do that? And yeah, I just think when you do those things, you're, you're showing yourself that you're willing to go through even harder because the games become easy after that's the test. The test is easier than the actual practice. The practice is hard and that's what you're putting yourself through all that sweat, pain, all that stuff. And then you go to the the actual game on Friday, Saturday, and it's easier for you because you've worked at it so hard and focused and, and all that. I just watched something Kobe Bryant was talking about. Like literally it was last night. It was on Instagram. I think somebody tagged me in and it was just like, your practices need to be harder than games. Obviously not all the time timing and stuff like that comes in, but like just that idea, like you should practice harder than games because your touches are like 50 to one in practices versus games. So like, you got to make that touch count and like, you know, just everything that you and that's, that's literally like was my whole philosophy. I treated every practice like it was a game. 
every time I scored in practice, I sellied the exact same way I scored in a game, which was a lot. What's up? But like, I just, <laughs> that was, that was the only way that like I could push myself to like try and keep with guys that just had way more skill than me. It was like, I know they're not going to go a hundred in every shooting drill. I know they're going to two on one. They're going to like slow down. And like, that's not game. Like, and for me, like, I just try to always play game. Like, and that really, really helped me throughout my entire career. And it goes back to what you were saying before Wonger, like that is the preparation that leads to confidence. When you prepare yourself, like that's how you get confident is by how you prepare. And when you prepare hard, then that's, you know, and we always used to say that at Cornell, like we, our coaching staff, when I was, was, I was a player and continued when I was a coach is like, nobody knows how hard we work. And that led to a lot of our confidence because we competed so hard against each other in practice. Like our practice were always just an absolute grind and just competitive. And so we had a little bit of that swagger and that confidence going in because we knew that people didn't like we were ready. Nobody was going to compete harder than we compete against each other. And so it, it led to us having that confidence. And I think it's the same from, from a team standpoint and an individual standpoint too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you guys were ahead of a lot of teams and leagues at that point though. Um, that was just kind of starting to happen. I feel like, or even being talked about is, is how hard you push your teammate. Um, maybe that was new to me, but. I think it was new to you, man, because I was fist fighting my teammates in Omaha. <laughs> not because I, not because I wanted to. I was being forced to. So yeah, uh, given on. I mean, our so our my first year practice were tough. Second year practice were a lot more X's and O's. Um, yeah, a lot more. It just depends on coach, right? So a lot more X's and O's and more structured. In my third year with with Merritt, when everything went all well, we had. We had a tough team and a good team, but we were doing so well that we had three on three most Monday mornings after our weekend. So, um, yeah, those practices weren't too hard being even the third year, I guess, in the league too. So, but yeah, it wasn't, I had a couple fights though. I think I remember my second year, I was bringing up with one of the players, a couple practice fights, just being a little bit of a, I don't know, cheeky skilled guy, I guess you'd say. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'd ever say that, Brandon. But okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gone a couple of those. Just, but um, yeah, you guys. I'm sure USHL was was much different than BC at the time too. Um, it was it was later for me that I learned all that stuff. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wonger, we've had you on here for quite some time now. Um, but we do, before we let you go, wanted to, uh, just kind of ask you, where can people find you? Cause you do a lot of stuff on social media. You obviously have your company going, um, out in Victoria. So let our listeners know where they can find, uh, some of the information that you put out there from a hockey standpoint. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have my website up now, just brandonwonghockey.com and I have the Facebook page, um, I think it's just facebook.com backslash Brandon Wall Hockey and then the Instagram page uh, at Brandon Wall Hockey and uh, running a couple spring break camps coming up here, two in one week. And then in the other one, I got one camp going with two different groups. So it's going to be really busy and going right till the end of summer here. Good stuff, man. Well, best of luck with everything. If there's anything that we can do to help you out, certainly let us know. Uh, But great having you out here. It's making me miss recruiting out in Western Canada, miss 
the and and then for also for all the Americans listening, when we talk about BC, we're not talking about Boston College. Although I was talking about Boston College with uh, with Greg Brown earlier, uh, but so many times, yeah, say, Chris yeah Collins. and Chris Collins. So I was like, it's always funny because you say, yeah, I'm going out and recruiting in BC, and they're like, why are you recruiting at BC? in Boston like they already have a hockey team it's like no like Western Canada British Columbia yeah. um, but uh, awesome having you on man best of luck in your endeavors and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you at some point pretty soon yeah thanks a lot for having me on had a lot of fun and hopefully we can do this again sure. yeah man alright